Hey everybody, welcome to Just For Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. On today's episode, I'm talking to Sarah Chalk about her Netflix hit series, Firefly Lane. Plus, is she ready for a Scrubs reunion? Then later, I catch up with Jesse Tyler Ferguson about his very yummy new cookbook, Food Between Friends. The Modern Family star reveals his worst kitchen nightmare, as well as his dream dinner party guests. I'll have Sarah Chalk coming up. But first, let's dip into this week's Just for Variety column. Congrats to WME powerhouse Richard Weitz and his daughter Demi for raising more than $20 million for charity through Quarantunes, their series of Zoom get-togethers in which they invite people like John Mayer, Josh Groban, Debbie Gibson, Deborah Cox, and Boy George, among many others, to perform for family and friends. Each episode benefits a different charity. Richard tells me there are two people he's still hoping to book, Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel. Learn more about the Whites' plans for quarantines as lockdowns are eased up in this week's Just for Variety column. You can read it in the magazine or at Variety.com. Now, today's first guest, Sarah Chalk. Ms. Chalk first shot to fame as the second Becky on Roseanne, followed by her role as Elliot Reed in the much-loved Scrubs. I caught up with Chalk from her home in Canada to talk about her latest, the hit Netflix drama series, Firefly Lane. The show follows the lives of two childhood besties, Kate Malarkey, played by Chalk, and Tully Hart, played by Katherine Heigl. Fans are hoping for a second season. Will there be one? Find out what Chalk said when I asked her about the future of the show. Plus, is she ready for a Scrubs reunion? Here's Sarah Chalk. Before we get to anything we must talk about the wigs how many wigs were there did you name them and where are they now <laughs> i wish they were <laughs> because i kind of have a wig obsession like my kids dress up for they have one of 80s clothes like a dress up regular normal dress up drawer then there's the dress up drawer right. that's 80s clothes which are actually my own personal explosion of pink <laughs> acid wash from the 80s and then um we have a lot of wigs <laughs> <laughs> a lot of wigs um, to the point where pre-COVID, so a few years ago, one of my kids had a birthday party and I can't remember how the wigs ended up coming out, but like everyone was running around in wigs. So I <laughs> love wigs. I was so excited at the idea that this was going to be, you know, an option that we're going to have all these different hairstyles. And initially they didn't know, there was sort of like a moment before we started shooting, was it going to be Katie or me that went with dark hair? and who was gonna go dye their hair. So I was up in my hometown of Vancouver where we were gonna be shooting and the producers and the creative show were all in LA. So I went to like a wig store and I got to try on like all these different wig styles in all these different shades of, you know, like dark brown and black and blonde and um, and send them a bunch of pictures. And so obviously I'm in the wig store in my element and it was just <laughs> so fun to, you know, figure out like who is Kate at 18, at 22 and at 42. Right. And our first couple of days on set, we're like kind of playing dress up. I mean, we were in the hair and makeup trailer for our two camera test days and just, you know, trying on like the one I fell in love with this one that was like super short and like just it was amazing. <laughs> and I loved it. And everyone's like, yes, the problem is, is it's supposed to make you look younger and it actually makes you look like old. <laughs> which is not what we're going for. So, um, so yeah. And then it was just a, a thing of like, okay, more hairspray, less hairspray, more teasing, more feathers, more, all of the things. That's fun. When you put on the wig to shoot, do you and Katie just look at each other and just start 
laughing like oh god these wigs because as much as listen as much as we want them to look like okay it's the real thing we know they're wigs and it's a specific style when you talk 80s yes yeah no for sure for sure i mean with all of it right like we're you know we're um trying to figure out ways to move like your 20 as like where you're more like bam right. to a room as opposed to you know like oh my knee is painful today or <laughs> you know and um and and nothing more humbling than being in a in hair and makeup trailer where there's like a team of people going okay so for 40s we'll do you know this and then for 20 or 22 what if we I mean is there like if we just you know put some tape and I'm like what what just happened I didn't know that I needed tape on my neck um and um so at the end of the day I think you know we ended up using they did some Benjamin Button-esque CGI technology for the you know when we were 20 and then for when we were 40 it was like I just my character had like just no makeup on for the first five episodes. <laughs> we started dating, started wearing a bit more makeup. So that was kind of like liberating and interesting and something I have not done. Like it was literally like, I don't wear much makeup really? in real life. Wow. Probably less than I wear at the grocery store. And um, and then, uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, did we look at each other and start laughing? Yes. Like the 80 stuff was the most fun to film because it's like, it's crazy. You're in, I mean, we're mm -hmm. 40 in real life and now we're in like stirrup pants and shoulder pads and giant earrings. And um, so it kind of like it, by putting on this like exterior armor and these wigs, it's like, mm -hmm. it helps you so much to step into that fun of the, of the eighties and feeling young again. And when they said to you, we want you to play your, you know, play the characters in their twenties, what was your first reaction? I was pumped because mm -hmm there was there's just so much and in for sure in hindsight i'm so glad that that's the way that it played out relieved that we didn't have to do 14 because obviously that would have been quite a stretch. <laughs> and how good are roan and ali we have to get to that they're so <laughs> spectacularly talented as young um kate and tully but um but yeah i was pumped i thought you know to get to play the whole journey of somebody where they start out, you know, just so awkward and uncomfortable in their own skin and not sure how to be in the world and in the room and then really being a pleaser and then kind of figuring out like, oh, okay, no, this is actually what I want and becoming a parent and a mother and, you know, then kind of finding spots to weave that back in where she actually is like still super awkward and uncomfortable in her own skin <laughs> herself back out there and dating and trying things that she's not cut out for. Um, so yeah, I was I was psyched that we got to kind of get to try to play both. So season two, you're gonna tell me now that it's been greenlit, right? <gasps> oh, from your mouth, I'm so hopeful. It was. Um... I mean, they they wait wait. I know you're hopeful, but there's no way you can't. It literally everything is on the cliff. Like if you want cliffhanger in the dictionary. Look at that last episode. <laughs> I know. I love to, I, mean, I feel like Maggie did that with episode to episode. Like I would, I would finish an episode. And I'd be like, wait, what? That person? And I was like, <laughs> that person died? Wait, that person can't die. But then who dies? And, you know, the way she structured it so that, you know, when I was reading the scripts, I felt the same as when I'm watching a Netflix show where you've got that like next episode starting three, two, one. I'd be like, three, two, one, three, two, one. Where is it? Where's the rest? And I call Maggie and I'd be like, what in the world? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I really hope we get to discover 
next. So if we get to discover, if we get to a season two, do you know what might be planned in your hopes of season two? <laughs> so I know zero. Um, I wonder how much of it, it was so interesting to read the book and then read the first season and kind of see what the similarities were. And I thought it was so, I love the book and I wasn't aware of it before I got the script for the show. And then I read the book, you know, devoured it in a couple of days. Kristen Hannah's such a great writer. And I, I really, um, I loved it, but I couldn't believe how Maggie figured out how to make it work for TV and kind of the characters that she added and the storylines that didn't exist in the book. And then, so for season two, what does Tully do? I don't know. I don't know if they keep, you know, if it's what happens in the book or if it's something completely different. Um, right. I, uh, you know, we don't know what happens to Johnny. Um, I hope that we so, see. What did Tully do? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Maggie will pick. I think she's probably. But how do you, okay, you as, a, as an actor, how as an actor do you do that scene, you know, the scene and say, I'm never going to forgive you. You're not welcome here. So how do, what's in your mind that she did? Because don't you have to? Yes, yeah. So I think um, we, we talked a bunch about it and we were like, well, it definitely cannot be that Tully slept with Johnny because that's going to be something that's just, I mean. I hope it's not that. There's no way. It would never be, and it can't be something like that. That's something that we you know we would never, how do you ever get past? Um, so I wonder if it's similar to something in the book where Tully brings Mara and Kate on her talk show and it all goes completely awry or if that gets even kind of teased out to something way more extreme even than than that. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely, uh, I love that it ended on that kind of like just, yeah, craziness of these two people who you root for. You so rarely see this like yeah. incredible bond between two women and I love their kind of authentic flawed relationship that it's not this glossy mm -hmm. kind of everything's perfect but you see them really go at it and overcome huge things and then and then there's just like this one thing that they can't so so how did how did firefly lane get come to you was it a script that was sent to you did you hear about it how did it happen yeah it, it, it appeared in my in my inbox um i had Worked with Dulé Hill. Katie and I have a mutual friend, Dulé Hill. He called me and he was like, my good friend, Catherine Heigl's coming to Vancouver, your hometown to shoot okay. this new Netflix series, Firefly Lane. Um, can I pass on your number? And maybe you could chat with her about schools and kids and neighborhoods to live in and stuff. So we oh, chatted okay. on the phone, we totally hit it off. And, and, um, and then about a month later, I got this script in my inbox and I was traveling back in the days when we used to be able to travel. travel. And... <laughs> So it was like, you know, the time change was like the middle of the night and I read it and I couldn't stop reading it. I was like, oh, this is so good. And the character is so fun. And, and, uh, and I love the story and I love that it was a show about two women. And I, um, immediately just wanted to be a part of it. I was like, yes, yes, please. Let's go try wigs on immediately. So did Heigl recommend you for it or like, was it separate from you giving her recommendations about Vancouver. I don't know. I know that once, I don't know who brought up the idea, whether it was her or someone else, but um, it was cool that we kind of immediately already knew that we got along so well. And then that was something right. that just grew, right? Like then we met for the first time in person at the cast dinner 
And then um, our first two days of working together were these ridiculous fun days of playing dress up. And then, and then it just kind of, you know, grew from there. We were shooting long days and we would hike the dogs on the weekends. And then she would have everyone over for wine and cheese nights. And then I had everyone over for, to my house for a party. And um, her husband, Josh brought his guitar and it just evolved into this, everyone dancing in my backyard to Josh's music for the night. And so it was just kind of uh, one of those fortuitous things where, you know, it's great when you all get along regardless, but when you have to really portray people that are that tight and that bonded and rely on each other and you're doing scenes where you're like, you know, sobbing on her shoulder or dancing <laughs> on the table, um, it made such a difference that we actually just really, really got along. Okay, so let's take you back to your teenage years. Whose posters did you have on your wall? Oh my gosh, I had um, posters. Well, I had the tragically hip, like every good Canadian would. Okay. <laughs> yep. Gord Downey. Okay. Um, I had, uh, I had, I had Bruce Springsteen, but then my first concert, I don't know if we thought we were getting tickets to Bruce Springsteen and we went to go see Rick Springfield. I can't remember how that exactly all played out. Um, yeah, uh, there was um, Ralph Macchio mm -hmm. from The Karate Kid. Is this one? Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that was, those were, that was one of my favorite movies of the time. So yeah, all the 80s music was so fun. I mean, it becomes a character of the, of the show. So we would constantly right. be you know, blasting music in the hair and makeup trailer and getting you know, psyched up with our, our 80s songs. It was cool that every episode was like named after Mm -hmm. song and the you know music I think has such a big um impact on the show it's almost like another character you know like it just it ups the nostalgia factor so much yeah. what about a scrubs reunion when do we see the reboot when do we see all of that I would I would love to I mean we just had such a ridiculously good time on that show it was kind of most of my 20s you know I was 24 to 32 right. when we shot it and and um and I just learned so much on it. I mean, I didn't do any formal acting training. It was more just on the job. I was 16 on when the I job. the Roseanne show and would just kind of sit there in awe with my jaw on the floor going like, where am I? I definitely don't belong here. These people are really, really <laughs> talented. I have no idea what I'm doing. Just try and absorb it, watch what they're doing. And then, um, and then my other biggest learning experience was on Scrubs because I learned so much from Bill Lawrence, who's the creator of our show about, you know, he was so specific about timing. He would come up before um, every scene, which was so rare for a showrunner to be there. Like we were a single camera comedy. So he's down in the writer's room and he would pop up, somebody would radio me pop up before every scene that we would shoot and he'd watch the rehearsal and then he would just tweak stuff and say, okay, try it like this. And, and, um, and then just working with the rest of the cast who were so funny and so great and, uh, it just was such a lucky door to walk through because, you know, I just didn't know a lot about, uh, you know, physical comedy. I hadn't gone to do a lot of that before then. And they really gave us the reins. Like if it was, you know, crazy, we had stunt doubles there, but we always got to take a crack at it if we felt comfortable. And if it wasn't mm -hmm. too nuts, you know, like be, you know, if it was a giant stunt pad and you were kind of just like tripping over yourself and falling out of frame, <laughs> um, they'd be like, do you want to try this? And I'd be like, I, I just like, hurt myself on the weekend on my off time. Of course I'm trying this. Like I fall on my face all the time. And, right. um, you know, I'd grown up as like such a huge fan of John Ritter and 
Three's company, I used to watch how he'd like, you know, smack into a couch, fall flat on his face, pop back up, be totally fine. I remember I would try that as a kid and just try and, you know, do pratfalls all the time and just see how you make realistic, you could make it look. And that was actually one of my um, homeschooling activities this pandemic is we do pratfall classes with my kids. And I would just like put a stack of books on the living room floor. And I, my four-year-old was into it. She was just giving her, like she'd, she'd walk towards the books and then look back at the last second and then fall flat on her face. And <laughs> I was like, maybe the next pandemic purchase needs to be a stunt pad. <laughs> maybe this- I was just going to say, hmm. do you think there will be a reunion? like a full-fledged you know I would be I I would be I would be into it I would love to do it I mean we've talked about I think you know everybody's lives is so are so crazy but maybe do something we all talk about how cool it'd be to do something like the Sightcast did you Mm -hmm. know the reunion movie um I think it'd be so much fun to do something like that this much later well this is awesome this is a nice pandemic break thank you for me too. The next time in person, hopefully, maybe. Can you imagine how that will even feel? I can't even imagine. It's too exciting to even let my brain go there. That was Sarah Chalk. Firefly Lane is available now on Netflix. Now, before we get to my second guest, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, I need to tell you about my big scoop regarding the Golden Globes. If it hasn't happened already, it should be happening any minute. Hollywood's top publicists have banded together to write a letter to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association to formally warn the HFPA that they expect to see tangible changes within the organization. The HFPA, the nonprofit group that puts on the Golden Globes, has come under increased fire in the last month or so to diversify its membership. There has not been a single black member since 2002. As of this recording, the publicists plan to tell the HFPA that they are advising their clients not to work with the group until they prove that real change is coming. As one publicist told me, they've got to change. Will they? We're not sure. But the publicist added, we hope this pushes them even more. If our clients won't work with them, then there is no HFPA. If there's no HFPA, there's no Golden Globes. For the latest on the HFPA and the Golden Globes controversy, head over to Variety.com. We all fell in love with Jesse Tyler Ferguson for his work on Modern Family. Well, now the actor is going inside the kitchen. He, along with co-author Julie Tenaus, has just released his first cookbook, Food Between Friends. I talked to Ferguson about learning to cook, his worst kitchen nightmare, and who's on the list for his dream dinner party. Here's Jesse Tyler Ferguson. And you have a baby in and all of this. a baby too, yes, yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, eight months old. Wow. Pandemic, baby, and a book. Pandemic, baby, and a book. I know, it's, it, I, I just keep looking for things to keep me busy and occupied. That might be the title of your memoir. Yeah. Pandemic, baby, and a book. Yeah. So you saw this weekend. I love it. It's so good. Yeah, it's a great cover. I love cookbooks. Like I cook now, but before I started cooking, I just collected them. Yeah. Because they were aspirational. Yeah, me too. I, I have so many cookbooks and it is that. It's like they're aspirational. That's uh, But it's also fun. I don't know how you feel about cookbooks, but I just like pulling a few down and like kind of looking through books I haven't looked at in a while and like finding these recipes that, you know, I might've passed over and like just creating a whole new menu for the night. Yeah. Have all of Ina Garden. She could do no wrong. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and Clarkson Potter, our publisher, published yeah. Ina's books too. So I was just like, I was, and, and Chrissy Teigen, who I love her books. And I was just like so honored that they thought that we were, you know, good enough to be published. <laughs> I still have not like fully, fully interviewed Ina Garten, but she was at the Mary Poppins premiere because she's friends with maybe Rob Marshall. I can't. James Lapine is a very good friend of hers. Maybe that, maybe it's through that. I'm sure she has other friends besides James Lapine, but I, know, I met her through James Lapine and it was really exciting. Also like at the beginning of quarantine, I don't know if you saw this, but she had an Instagram story making a massive size Cosmopolitan. And we watched that and we thought it was hilarious. And we're like, you know what? When was the last time we had a Cosmopolitan? And the answer was a long, long time ago. Know, and now it's been like my go-to drink. All because of Ina Garten and that jokey, huge Cosmo that she made and like, like April. Did you ever think you'd have a fun cooking show, a cookbook? Was this ever anything? No, I mean, I, I always thought maybe I'll like write a memoir or something or like a book of like funny essays. And the, I, I sort of tried and then like I got writer's block and I felt overwhelmed by it. It's not like I even had a book deal for, to do that. I was just like, maybe I'll do it for myself and just see if I could sell it. And with this cookbook, um, I had a blog that I've developed with my friend, Julie, called right. juliejessiecook.com. Do not ask me how I thought of that title. It was just <laughs> a book of genius. Um, and, but we, that's what, sort of where we just housed all these recipes we were developing together. And then Clarkson Potter, the publishing house that we were talking about earlier, approached us and said, you know, let's turn this into a book. And it took them like having the confidence in us to, to actually do it. One's in the back, one's in the front, one starts barking. And all day I'm not doing a Zoom. Now I go on a Zoom and they start barking, yeah. My dog's trigger word is hello. So anytime I went on these Zooms and I was like, hey, hello, how are you? They go crazy thinking someone new is at the house. Well, the other day I was doing one and I don't know if you have a rumba. I'm obsessed with our rumba, the vacuum, the ramp. So I forgot that when it's running out of battery, it goes back to its little house. And when it gets charged up, it will just start up again. So I'm in the middle of a Zoom, another podcast, and the rumba's going, the dogs are barking. I'm like, what the? I'm like, could you hold on one second? My rumba is going. That is really funny. We, I got a rumba. It was a gift from one Christmas from Fox. And of course. I, um, I, I, Julie Bowen told me after we got back from Christmas break, she goes, oh my God, I didn't know that Fox like branded the rumba with like Modern Family. And it was like <laughs> a whole like Modern Family rumba. She re-gifted it to a friend and they oh. opened it in front of her. And it, it was like a Modern Family rumba. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so humiliated. Oh my God, that's awful. <laughs> Take a look at the gift before you re-gift it. Um, so back to cooking, when did you start cooking? Cause mine is later in life. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Actually, it was after I moved to LA and I actually had space to cook because I lived in, mm -hmm. I, I lived 12 years in New York and I had very, very tiny apartments. I forgot, are you in LA or New York? I'm in LA, but I know about the New York. I grew up in New York, so I know all about it. Yeah. I mean, I had very, very, very tiny kitchen. So I, I would, you know, the, doing a heating up a lean cuisine was the most cooking I was doing in New York. Um, but I, uh, when I moved to LA, I started collecting cookbooks and just cooking a lot. And 
also when I was doing press for Modern Family, I got to be on Martha Stewart's show and I got to cook with her a little bit. And I just, I sort of felt like, you know, I'm not bad at this. I think I can do it. I, I, I guess I'm, some people just really shouldn't be allowed in kitchens. I yeah. just like, it's, it's, it's not like, I shouldn't be allowed on a basketball court, but like other people <laughs> shouldn't be allowed in kitchens. And I just, I feel like I'm one of those people that sort of naturally just feels comfortable in a kitchen. So yeah, I've, I've slowly taught myself. Yeah, for me, my, my biggest fear, well, one, when I was in New York, I turned on my stove once, it didn't work. And I went to the super and I was like, I'm trying to make a lasagna. He's like, since when hasn't been working? I'm like, well, I've lived here five years. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I haven't turned it on. But then my fear always with cooking, and I wanted to get your take on this too, is like, I was always scared of messing up. Yeah. Like I did, you know, I would look up like frying pan to make sure I had the right, that it's a frying pan, not a stove. And I was so scared of messing up, it, it stopped me for cooking. And what happened with me was, my best friend here in the, here in LA, we would have Thanksgiving. And we would always do it at my apartment because my apartment was bigger and I had a bigger kitchen. But I had nothing to cook with. So he would bring up, bring over all his cooking stuff and he'd cook. Well, he moves to New York. He's coming back the next year. We're like, he's like, we're still going to have Thanksgiving at your place. I'm like, I don't have anything to cook with. So I went out, bought all cookware, cooked that Thanksgiving with him. And the next day is when I started cooking. Yeah and I love it. And I don't care about making mistakes. But I'm the same way because also you invest not only money in buying all the ingredients, yes. the time that it takes to prep everything. And the, the thought of like messing up so horribly that it's inedible, which is very yeah. like, very rare. That's, yeah. Usually you can, you, you can salvage something, but the idea of messing it up so badly that you just, no one could eat it is just too great sometimes. Like I don't know. Yeah time and money I invested. But that, I mean, that's kind of why I love cookbooks. And a lot of the cookbooks that you probably have and that I have, are, they make it very easy for you. And I was always a, like a very good student. I'm not to say not not to say I had like straight A's growing up, but like I loved following the rules. So I would, you know, that cookbooks are great for me because if you just follow what they're telling you to do, you're going to be okay. Yeah. You read through the whole thing once, you're not going to be surprised by like step three and like, oh God, I don't have that ready yet. But also, when I'm writing, a, when you're writing a cookbook, being such a rule follower actually works in your disadvantage because you need to sort of trust your palate. And so mm -hmm. I've learned to sort of let go of the rules. And certainly when you're baking, a lot of that stuff needs to be very scientific and you can't really just go off the rails. But, right. you know, when you're talking about spices and, and seasonings, it's fine to, you know, if you don't like something, substitute something else or just don't use it. And it's all going to be okay. So that's one of the things that I actually, the spirit I brought into my book is because I am, I'm an, uh, a novice chef slash cook. Right. And Julie, my cooking partner went to culinary school and she really taught me to take the fear out of cooking and just to, you know, taste my palate. And also when I was cooking with Padma Lakshmi, she stayed at my house one year for the Emmy awards and I made her dinner and she was like, she wanted to contribute as well. So we were cooking together in the kitchen and that was very intimidating. And she yeah. had to make a pesto. And so I was like looking up a pesto recipe. She's like, no, 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 just like add stuff. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was so scared about messing up a pesto for Padma. And I was like, it's very hard <laughs> to mess this up. She, and she really taught me to like cook with my palate. I love that story because my thing was always like, I didn't understand people who just went in the kitchen and just cooked like, they're putting spices in And what I realized is one thing I've learned, lemon, you could put on anything. 
sweet, sour. If you just have pasta, butter, lemon. Like I didn't know that lemon was this all encompassing thing. And you could just like the first time, like, and I do it kind of with seafood more than anything else. It's like, I'm able to go into the spice rack or whatever, and I'm not doing anything that exotic, but I'm like, okay, I'll put a little oregano there. Yeah. Which shocks me. There's a great, um, a few great, there's a book called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which I'm sure you've heard yeah. about. Um, yeah. And that sort of just breaks down the, the essentials of cooking. But then there's also this other book called The Flavor Bible, which I bought. Mm. Um, and it's actually just like, if you look up an ingredient, like, I don't know, um, let's say scallops. And right. they will list so many, all, all the things that go great with scallops, like from tarragon to lemon to parsley to you know, shallots. And that's so good because I'm making scallops tonight. I swear. I swear to God. There he is. What has been your worst cooking nightmare, though? What was something that just went off the rails? Speaking of like spending a lot of money and time on something, <laughs> I bought like a beautiful rack of lamb and I marinated it overnight. And it's a recipe I've made before. And for some reason, I just wasn't paying attention when I turned the grill on. Mm -hmm. I, I have a gas grill and I, I just cranked up the heat way too much. And it, the, these, this poor rack of lamb got so scorched. And it was <laughs> true, like we had to like call, call someone to bring food. Like I, I had, it was a dinner party and I had nothing to give anyone. So we just ordered in pizza or something. It was really bad. And, but it was that thing like, you know, a rack of lamb is expensive. It was like $8 yeah. down the drain. What's really aspirational for me are the desserts. So I just go straight to the desserts. And I know they said, like you said earlier, it's a science. Like the, the measurements have to be, I don't get too crazy with it. You know, I'm sure my pound cake is a little heavier than most, a little denser, but I'm always that person who totally overmixes for baking. Yeah. Because I never knew you're not supposed to do that. Overmixing is a thing. Yeah. Such a thing. Julie, my cooking partner, is a really good baker. And so she has taught me a lot about baking. And, and it is um, one of the things she really helped me get over was my fear of pie crust. I just could not do good this pie the, crust. This is the gayest <laughs> conversation I've literally have had on Zoom. I have a fear. <laughs> like a deep fear of pie crust not eating okay. it but making it <laughs> that is that is merchandise that is t-shirts jesse but i know what you're talking about <laughs> because if you don't if things aren't cold enough and there's like three ingredients if in pie crust like and but if they're not like at the right temperature or like added at the right time you're screwed and i've cried over the pie crust that i've tried to make like with flour all over my kitchen and all over my face. And I just, and she walked me through everything I was doing wrong. And like the first thing I was doing wrong was not breathing. I just was like so <laughs> tense. Um, but yeah. What are the foods that, are you, that you're just like, I'm never touching, I'm not cooking it. Don't even show it to me. I don't like things with heads on it. I don't like, like mm -hmm. if you're, a whole fish the eyeballs. And the tail. I don't want to, I just have a problem with it. And actually when I was talking with Chrissy Teigen early on when I was writing this book, I was like, do you have any advice for me? And she goes, people don't like heads. I was like, oh no, well yeah. there goes my whole head, head chapter that I was going to do. <laughs> um, 
And I was you know, I, I totally, I totally agree with, with those people who were telling you they didn't want heads. I don't like heads. I don't like organ meats, you know, tripe. And I hate, and that's why I wanted to get your feeling is on this mushrooms. You know, mushrooms, I always think I'm going to hate, and then I end up turning around on them. No. Is it a texture nope. thing, Mark? Yep. It's exactly a, a it. rubbery texture thing. I totally understand. And the smell when they're cooking. I don't like the smell. I, they kind of, a little like who's, who took off their shoes? Yeah. 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 I always say about, about mushrooms, truffles, whatever. I'm like, I might as well just go out into the backyard and just lick the dirt on the ground. That's what mushrooms are to me. But I do think when I go to a restaurant, like if I go to a, a restaurant with a tasting menu and you really don't have a lot of control over it, when they come out, I have to say, I always end up liking it. So, okay, little rapid fire. Your favorite food? Mexican. Least favorite food? Oh uh, gosh, that's hard because I really do eat everything. Um, <laughs> least favorite food? This is not being very rapid. Um, more rapid, Ferguson, more rapid. Um, <laughs> I don't think I have one. I don't think I have a least favorite food. That's pretty good. Mushrooms. Sweet or salty? Um, I Salty, probably. Cake or ice cream? Cake. Bagels or Bialis? Bagels. <laughs> I love that you didn't ask me what a Bialy was. <laughs> Onion or garlic? Um, garlic. Dream dinner party. Who's there? Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris, and Joan Rivers. And you. Oh, you're good. You're good. I know Joan um, Rivers isn't here with us anymore. That's I'm, I'm, I didn't know if it was a dead or alive. <laughs> no, it, it's dream. Dream is dead or alive. What's on the menu? Um, I'm going to make them my green chili chicken enchilada pot pie. I'll say that 10 times fast. <laughs> What's for dessert? We will be having confetti cake. Nope, not a pie. No pie crust on that one. Too, too much pressure. Nope. <laughs> Too much pressure. <laughs> and what's the best meal you've ever had? When I think about meals, I think about the feeling around them. And it's not, it's of less course. about the food. And because I've had some amazing, amazing food in Paris and in Mexico City and in my travel, Istanbul, we had amazing food, London. But the, the, the meal I think about a lot recently is actually a, a meal I cooked for Justin for our anniversary this past year. And I ordered in caviar and champagne, and then I made him chicken fingers as well. And we had it outside by the <laughs> fire pit, and it was just so special. When it's special time here, I'll do Ina's fried chicken when my husband's eating chicken. Mmm, we have both of those. You have a tres. You have a tres leche tiramisu. Yes, we do. So I've got to try that because I do the tres. I do all. Uh, Alton Brown's tres leche, because I also do his turkey for Thanksgiving. The brining is, the fact that I'm even talking about brining, by the way, I have brining buckets that I use every Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's so interesting. I was talking about brining with Sarah Carey, who's a dear friend of mine who happens to be Martha Stewart's, um, like she's her basically secondhand man. And um, mm -hmm. Martha taught me to brine. And then Carrie, Sarah Carrie was like, um, it's not totally necessary. And sometimes Martha doesn't do it. I'm like, oh, the tea, the tea, Sarah Carrie. And so I think I was, I had someone published that I actually said that Sarah Carrie told me it's not that important to brine. And Martha saw it. And so when Martha went into work the next day, she's like, Martha's like, your friend talked about how brining was not important. I was like, oh my God, Sarah, did you get a wrist slap from Martha? 
She's like, no. <laughs> no. She hit her in the head with a chalk. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you do a wet brine or a dry brine? I can't even believe I know these things. I do a wet brine. Me too. Yeah. It's just all about the salt and sugar. It's truly That's super easy. I mean, this has like peppercorns in it. I'm like, is the peppercorn doing anything? I know. There's like a huge jug and then like four peppercorns in there. <laughs> and, and, eight, and a single bay leaf. I'm like, really? Yes. That bay leaf is like, help me There's out no here. And the quarter of the shred of, of, of ginger. Yeah, yeah. What, what is this doing? <laughs> Anytime it's a, bay, a single bay leaf in a dish, I'm like, I feel like the bay leaf needs a little bit more help. Like it's bay leaf is like, I can't and then put it over here in the corner. And then the fear of God is God forbid you forget to take it out and you swallow it, someone's going to die. Exactly. Which is <laughs> not a thing. No one's dying from cooked bay leaves that I know of. I know. <laughs> but it's always like, remove the bay leaf, remove the bay leaf. Remove the bay leaf. I mean, the closest, I, the, the one thing I've always, I, I did forget to remove from a dish that I was cooking once was the bag of giblets in my turkey. Oh, you did that. Oh, I did. No. And when I cut into the turkey at the, in that evening for Thanksgiving, there was a plastic <laughs> bag in there. Did you serve it? We ate around it. It was fine. Just plastic. Plastic, it's fine. <laughs> You're like, look at this nice glaze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was fine. Do you watch uh, cooking stuff on TikTok? I just, Justin just signed me up for TikTok and I don't even have it on my phone. I was like, I can't, I can't, you have to manage this. And so <laughs> Justin's been recording videos of me like doing things and posting on TikTok. And at night he'll be like, oh, you went viral today. I'm like, doing what? And he'll show me, I'm like, I didn't even know you were filming me. Um, but <laughs> he did show me some of the cooking stuff on TikTok and it's really great. Yeah, some, some of it is like, Really, I did funnel cake for the first time off of TikTok. Not that that's that hard, but you know, it's funnel cake. Um, and then I did, have you done the feta cheese thing yet? No, what is that? Oh, just Google feta cheese. Feta? Big feta with tomatoes. It's literally, it's all anyone was doing, like to the point where you couldn't find feta at the store. I do remember hearing people and like, there was like a, there was two sides to this because there are people that are like, this is delicious. And that people are like, if you dare serve me baked feta. <laughs> it's literally, okay, here's the deal. It's just baked cheese with tomatoes. Yeah. And olive oil. And it's just, it's real. I've done it. It's, it's really, the well, the first time I did it, <laughs> for some reason, the feta didn't really melt. Uh -huh. Like I'd smush it and it was just clumps. So we think we've got like a super organic type or something. Uh -huh. and it just yeah. didn't. It didn't act like real cheese. It just didn't <laughs> melt. It was tofu. Maybe it was, Oops. No, tofu. Tofu, no. We have one tofu recipe in the book in our vegetarian chapter, and it's crispy tofu. But I do have to say tofu is tricky for me. That's a yeah. tricky one. If we were talking about foods you don't love, tofu might be up there. What about Broadway? What's going to happen with the show? Because you were ready to go. Yeah, I was in rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. were about two weeks in, and yeah. then everything shut down. Um, but yeah, we are still hoping to do it. Um, I, uh, as soon as theater's back, you know, Jesse Williams and Patrick Adams, who are uh, two of the co-stars in it with me, um, we are all very committed to doing this play. And Scott Ellis, yeah. the director, is so excited to um, to continue on with it. So we're just, you know, we're we're gonna do it when it's when it's okay to go back. And I'm just so grateful that vaccinations are rolling out. I got my mom vaccinated, and like, yeah. I do think by this time next year we will. Be in a much different place and 
Um, hopefully theater will go back. That's the thing I've really missed more than anything else is theater. Well, stay safe, be well. I'm glad we got to do this. I'm glad I got to support the book. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for talking yeah. about the book and thanks for cooking from it. I appreciate it. Of course, and tell Jesse I said hi. And uh, hopefully the next time we see each other, it'll be in person. Yes, for sure. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Just for Variety. I'll be back next week talking to one of my favorites, Cynthia Revo, who stars as the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, on Nat Geo's upcoming Genius Aretha. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. Stay safe and be well, and please keep wearing your masks. See you soon. Mm-hmm.